Today on Peace Talks Radio, U.S. and Vietnamese veterans meet face-to-face to heal the soul wounds of the Vietnam War. Tom Tien was a Viet Cong. Uh, he was the former enemy. He greeted us with a big smile and hugs. You know, you kind of go, wow. He told us his story. We shot him, left him for dead. He uh, really wanted to meet the person that shot him to say that he held no grudge. We hear from two U.S. veterans of the Vietnam War about their recent trips back to Vietnam. The trips are a component of their treatment of post-traumatic stress disorder. Psychologist Dr. Ed Tick organizes the journeys. When we go to Vietnam, Americans and Vietnamese tell each other their stories. They end up declaring, we are brothers and sisters who survived the same hell. Making peace with a former enemy, today on Peace Talks Radio, the series on peacemaking and nonviolent conflict resolution. This is Peace Talks Radio, the series on peacemaking and nonviolent conflict resolution. Whether it's the search for inner peace or learning how to resolve conflicts we have with others in our families, workplaces, communities, or between nations, we consider it here on Peace Talks Radio. I'm series producer Paul Ingalls. Today, stories about former enemies in war reconciling between each other to achieve peace within themselves and, they hope, delivering a message about the futility of war. We talk with Dr. Edward Tick first, psychologist and author of the book War and the Soul, and founder of Soldier's Heart, an organization that promotes innovative approaches to healing post-traumatic stress disorder. Among them, sponsoring trips for U.S. citizens, veterans and non-veterans, back to Vietnam, where the U.S. was involved in a bloody war for over a decade in the 1960s and early 70s. By the time North Vietnam took Saigon in 1975, over 58,000 American troops had died, many more, of course, injured. Vietnamese soldier and civilian death estimates ranged between 1 and 3 million over the full 20 years of conflict. We'll hear from two American soldiers who made such a trip back to Vietnam shortly. But first, our Carol Boss talks with Ed Tick and his wife, Kate Dahlstedt, both psychologists and co-directors of Soldier's Heart. We look for comprehensive, holistic means for healing post-traumatic stress disorder. And so we step far beyond the therapy setting to go back to where the wounds occurred and practice reconciliation, forgiveness, making friends, atonement for the actions committed during warfare. So when we go to Vietnam, we, we don't only take veterans, we also take family members, survivors, uh, widows of vets who have died, um, children of veterans, peace activists, students, spiritual pilgrims, uh, all have business with Vietnam. And in fact, of course, we all of us as Americans have business with Vietnam and with any per- people we've ever had conflict with. When we go to Vietnam, we immerse fully in Vietnamese culture. We take our veterans back to where they served, Uh, They don't only want to see their old battlefields, but we meet with the local people. Uh, We often will go to a village that our veterans helped destroy and meet with the villagers who survived it. Kate, what would you say are some of the main reasons that individuals, particularly veterans, choose to go on these journeys to Vietnam with you? I think that veterans 
of Vietnam are often curious about Vietnam today. They're also very anxious about the idea of going back. They do it because they, at some level, know that they have unfinished business. I think that they want to see Vietnam thriving so that they can have new images in their heads than the ones that they left with. And I think also at another level, they really do want to make peace with the Vietnamese because of all the uh, guilt that they feel. And they, they really are looking for some kind of atonement. Uh, however, when we begin to uh, arrange our trips and so on, we find that they also get very scared, really terrified of going back. What is the fear and apprehension about for them? The fear is, uh, really, it's a frozen consciousness, and that's what happens in war. When they, when they left Vietnam, uh, it was a war zone, and uh, they were good guys and bad guys, quote-unquote. There were people who were trying to kill them. And they also did things that uh, they're not proud of. So there's a sense that uh, when I go back there, they're going to get me. They're going to um, know who I am, and they're going to know what I did, and they're going to punish me for it. What happens, of course, is when we get there, that's just the opposite of what happens. They they are welcomed uh, with open arms. And we reassure them about that and tell them about that, but they have to really experience it. Ed Tick, what is the importance of one having the opportunity to meet with their their former enemies? There's a wonderful African proverb that goes... An enemy is one whose story I have not yet heard. When we go to Vietnam, Americans and Vietnamese, veterans and civilians, tell each other their stories. When war survivors tell each other their stories, they end up declaring, we are brothers and sisters who survived the same hell. One Viet Cong veteran we meet with every year in the Mekong Delta, whose name is Tom Tien, who's severely wounded and left for dead and really has a miraculous story of survival. Tom Tien said to our group of visiting veterans one year, from now on and forevermore, American and Vietnamese veterans must be the lips and the tongue of the same mouth telling the rest of the world the same story. Ed Tick and Kate Dahlstedt of Soldier's Heart. More with both later. We'll move now to the stories of two U.S. military veterans who made trips back to Vietnam with Ed and Kate over 40 years after their stints in Vietnam. Al Plapp and Tommy Laughlin talked with Carol Boss. I'm Al Plapp. I was a hospital corpsman with the Marines uh, on my second tour. The first tour I was on a um, United States Navy destroyer um, I was not a corpsman at that point, but we were in the Tonkin Gulf. The second trip was um, I was the corpsman with the Marines flying helicopter medevac. I was up in the Fubai Way area uh, for that trip, uh, 11 months during Tet Offensive of 68. Uh, my name is Tommy Laughlin. Joined the Army in 65, and at 19, I went to Vietnam uh, in for most of the year of 67. Uh, I was... Uh, armor crewman, and uh, an infantryman uh, for a year. Al, can you tell us how you felt about the Vietnam War before you enlisted? 
Well, really, I didn't consider it much. I was in college, um, knew I wasn't ready for college, um, had kind of a sense of adventure and wanted to uh, have some help with uh, my college when I went out. So I enlisted. Uh, I was a little bit naive, but uh, it didn't take very long once I got through boot camp that uh, uh, I knew what the war was about. The problem was that I also knew that uh, a lot of people at home didn't know what the war was about, and I was a little bit ambivalent as to what my uh, role was really going to be. Once you got to Vietnam, what happened to your feelings while you were there? The first time was uh, aboard ship, and that was, you know, you're offshore, you were, you're distant. So there, weren't, uh, there weren't a, wasn't a whole lot of emotion. The second time with the Marines, uh, of course, as soon as I hit land, you were very aware that you were in a danger zone. Rockets went off the first night that I was there in Da Nang. And the next day I was processed and took off for the uh, first Marine Air Wing up at Fubai. That was during Tet Offensive, so the war was really uh, ratcheting up then. My anxiety and so forth uh, ratcheted up also. What does that mean? Your life was threatened, and they asked if I wanted to fly medevac. I thought, yeah, I can do that. So I did, And uh, but the first missions were going into uh, Way and the Citadel and picking up body after body after body, uh, wounded after wounded, and you became very dramatically aware that uh, people were dying, and you could die also. You began soul-searching as to the reason why you were there and what this was really all about. One day you're safe, and the next day you're being shot at. You begin to wonder about your own fate and who you are, um, what you're seeing. Why did these guys have to die? Who were these guys? Who were, who were the civilians? What was this thing all about? You began to really question you didn't talk about it. It was an internal dialogue. But the more you questioned, the more anxiety you got about it. Uh, the more bodies you saw, the more anxious you became. Uh, the more deeply and profoundly you uh, questioned everything that was happening, not only politically, culturally, but to your own soul and your own heart. Tommy, what were your feelings about the Vietnam War before you enlisted? Why did you enlist? I graduated from high school and uh, had a uh, the funds for a college education waiting for me. Uh, I didn't feel that I was disciplined enough to utilize those properly, and I uh, was a patriot. I wanted to contribute to uh, my country and my constitution uh, as a soldier. I had some soldiers in my family, and so uh, that's what I did. I, As far as Vietnam went, I was, I knew there was, even at that early date, in November of 65, that there was some question as to what was going on there. What happened when you got there? What happened to the, the initial feelings that you had before you actually enlisted? Uh, some very surreal things. Uh, I got there in the uh, middle of December of 66, and 
was in a replacement station, uh, a tent uh, city that uh, before I was put in a unit and there were these little light planes that were flying around the sky and with big loudspeakers singing Christmas carols in Vietnamese. It wasn't long before I was assigned to a unit, but it was about three weeks before I went into the field and got some real experience because of the Christmas stand-downs they had over there. One of the things that we did uh, while I was on that stand-down, they had a little Christmas gathering at the troop area uh, for uh, some Vietnamese orphans. And a question came up to my mind, you know, how are these orphans made? You know, and you started getting in touch with, the, you know, the sadness, the grief, the tragedy of war. Mm-hmm. Al, was there an experience while you were over in Vietnam that you felt transformed you? There were a number, actually, and I can combine them some. I think the biggest, after seeing all the bodies and coming out of way in the Citadel and that bloody mess, um, during that same period, the chaplain got a hold of me and asked if I wanted to hold clinic in the villages as a corpsman. And that experience was transformative in that I got to know the people on a very personal level. I couldn't believe how kind and gentle and giving they were even during the carnage of the war. The smallest thing that you did for them, they were always grateful. It was difficult to piece together. Here's all this carnage, and here are all these beautiful people treating you so kindly. That set me up for internal conflict back home versus where I was. When I came home and I tried to tell our folks about the Vietnamese people and that experience, they wouldn't listen. And that was a very severe wound for me. It set up all kinds of lifelong questions that I've still been trying to answer out of that experience. Do you want to just um, give me an example of a couple of those questions? My quest now is to understand what the soul really is, not in, a, not in a religious sense totally, but in the broadest sense of what a human is. The soul is an essence of who we are. There's so much. It's undefinable. There really isn't a language for it. But the biggest demonstration I've found for it is just looking at a newborn baby. And you just get an essence of soul right there. Uh, Pure, not complicated, hasn't been altered. Trying to get a hold of how war and that experience wounded my soul and trying to put it together. It's a missed blessing. Um, It's a wound, but yet it also poses questions that as a human you have to answer. It puts you in a dilemma and makes you grow. Tommy Laughlin, was there an experience that you felt transformed you, if you can describe that for us, and the changes that came about in you? 
in one particular day, we were on a uh, recon operation, and uh, we were evicting some North Vietnamese personnel from their their holes, their spider holes, even though it wasn't a <clears throat> large firefight. It got to be a lot more involved and intense than many of us would have wished, and uh, a game close to dying two or three times within the space of a very few minutes because I had I had my comrades with me. I had my brothers on either side uh, looking out after me. I, I lived. I survived. You know, there was counterparts, that is, uh, North Vietnamese people who didn't uh, survive the encounter. The point being to all that is that I had a... Uh, I at that point decided that, uh, and I, this is after several months in Vietnam, and uh, noticing that we weren't making a lot of headway as far as any hearts and minds winning. We were, we might have been uh, tactically winning the war in, the, in our uh, firefights, but uh, it seemed to me that we were alienating the, the great majority of that populace. And in this particular day, in these incidents that I'm talking about, I decided that uh, it wasn't worth my life to save that particular that culture from socialism or communism or whatever. They were they were making a choice against me and my brothers. They're trying to kill us. And if I no longer thought my life was worth sacrificing on that field, then I didn't feel that my any of my brothers' lives or any lives were worth sacrificing anymore. Let them have it. Uh, let them have it for, you know, let them have socialism or communism, you know. the uh, If they didn't want our help, they deserved it. That was a pretty simplistic view, a 19-year-old's point of view, maybe. Uh, but that's when I changed my mind and uh, started to, on my path to becoming an anti-war veteran. More with Vietnam veterans Tommy Laughlin and Al Plapp about the path that took them back to Vietnam over 40 years after their service there to face their former adversaries, the Viet Cong soldiers who were their enemies. All that when we return on Peace Talks Radio after this break. This is Peace Talks Radio, the series on peacemaking and nonviolent conflict resolution. You can hear every episode of our series going back to 2003 online, as well as read partial transcripts and link to other content on our show topics, all at peacetalksradio.com. That's peacetalksradio.com. 
I'm series producer Paul Ingalls, and today we're talking with a couple of Vietnam veterans who participated in a program meant to help address their post-traumatic stress symptoms. It's called Healing Journeys Back to Vietnam, and it's been put on yearly since 2000 by the nonprofit group known as Soldier's Heart. The veterans are Tommy Laughlin and Al Plapp, talking with our Carol Boss. Tommy, what happened for you when you returned from the war? I came back alone. Uh, flew into Seattle, got a plane from Seattle to uh, Phoenix, uh, where I was near my home. There may have been a few soldiers on that flight, but after that I was uh, back in my hometown at Christmas time. I had personal issues at that time. I had a fiancé that uh, the night I got home, she uh, broke the engagement. Then I, there was the Christmas season to deal with. It changed my life forever as far as Christmas goes. I, I felt like I had abandoned my comrades. Uh, I didn't wear the, all of the awards and regalia that I could have worn when I went home. And that was the, an inkling of the shame that was to come uh, about having taken part. And uh, the viciousness that is war. After a few months, uh, you went to, to the VA? Uh, about three or four months after I got out of the military as a civilian, I had been recently married. My wife and I went to the local VA office, and I spoke to what they what passed for a counselor then, and I told them that uh, there was something that was not quite right <clears throat> in the terms uh, contemporary terms. I wasn't adjusting. Uh, I was very angry. I thought in terms of an infantryman and a combat engineer and a tanker, you know, if uh, something's in my way, or something or someone is in, in my way, shoot it or blow it up. It felt completely against my nature. You know, uh, while I was doing this and explaining this, this VA guy was kind of thumbing through a magazine, and when I finished, he looked up at me and basically gave me the same advice that a lot of people have given me. Uh, well, give it some time and uh, go home and relax, and uh, you'll get over it. And he had kind of amused by the whole conversation. So it was a while before I went back to the VA and asked for anything. So essentially that was a time before they um, had a diagnosis for PTSD, is that correct? That's right. This was in 1970. They didn't start uh, you, you, using uh, PTSD and uh, recognizing it until the early 80s, I believe. Al Plapp, what happened when you returned from the Vietnam War? Well, I was like Tommy. I, I felt uh, very separated. I was in uh, confusion emotionally. I didn't know how to fit in. Um, I knew I had been changed. Um, I had seen a lot, and I wasn't able to talk to anybody about it. And when I did, um, they didn't understand. So I became very quiet about it. I didn't talk about it anymore. I got out in February and went back to school that fall. When I got to school, obviously I was older than most of the kids, and it was very confusing. I, I just was bewildered by kids just coming out of high school, and I'd been a combat vet, and I had one professor who called me a baby killer at one point. 
I graduated, but it was very difficult to concentrate on any schoolwork. Uh, it was a very difficult time. But I did have some people who befriended me and helped me get through it also. Fast forward, I got married during that time. Nine years later, I was divorced. I felt, still felt very detached emotionally, isolated. In 1981, when they began to, to identify PTSD, I was in Houston working in surgery. I had become a nurse anesthetist. And uh, a surgeon was using cautery, and he, would, he refused to use any um, suctioning. So the smoke was filling the room. And pretty soon I became very anxious, uh, was sweating, uh, starting to lose it, and all I got was flashbacks of bodies, napalm, and stuff like that. I asked to be excused and went home, uh, told him I was sick, and uh, didn't go back to work for three or four days. I wouldn't go to the um, VA because I had heard that all they were doing is drugging people who had this kind of stuff. And so I sought my own um, own help outside the VA and for... Oh, an intense year and a half. I saw my own therapist for twice a week. She was terrific. And I still talk to her on occasion. You know, if things are starting to pile up on me or something, I know I've got some place where I can put my foot on the ground and keep the world from spinning again. Al, did you ever think about returning to Vietnam? And I'm I'm interested in your reasons for um, why you would want to return? Well, I'd always wondered about the people. Um, I had a picture of a little girl on my wall ever since I came back that I'd taken over there that I fell in love with at the orphanage where I worked at. Her name was, I named her Sarah. So I always had that on my wall to think about the people. And about four years ago, I met Dr. Tick and Kate and Dr. Fisher at a conference and they were speaking about this journey back. And when I heard that, I thought, I've got to do it. i got to go back. And I talked to my wife about it, and uh, we agreed. And uh, last October, we went back. What motivated you? Primarily because I wanted to reconnect with a people. I wanted to reconnect with a culture. I was still am and was at that time confused about our own culture. I couldn't understand all the aggression that we have here, all the anger that we have here, that they didn't have over there even during war. And when I returned over there, they were the same. They don't have the anger. They don't have the PTSD. The culture shock was coming back here, not going there. Tommy, had you had thoughts about returning to Vietnam? Not for many, many for many, many years, decades, uh, people started going back, I think, in the 90s. Uh, veterans started going back, and I thought about it. Uh, I, I, When I was over there in 67, I recognized it as a very beautiful place. Even though we might have considered it third world, uh, I thought it was beautiful. I thought the people were very clean and industrious, uh, and I didn't really 
think that it required a lot of change. I was taken by the beauty of it despite the circumstances. And in that sense, I always thought it would be a nice place to uh, be a tourist is in peacetime. Uh, but after people started going back, you know, you still have the anxiety and that uh, fear. I couldn't really conceive of going back without being armed until uh, I went to a, a workshop with Dr. Ed Tick, and he had a what he uh, terms a spiritual approach to recovery from these issues. And I had recognized during some of my hospital stays at the VA that the, the spiritual side of me and probably others as well uh, wasn't being addressed at all. And I went looking for help in the hospital spiritually, even though I don't have a, a faith base, I'm a particular religion, I recognized there was something lacking there. And it was uh, basically almost 20 years before I found somebody to help me address that. And as soon as uh, Dr. Tick talked about the soldier's heart, I stepped right up and went back and haven't regretted a, I haven't regretted a thing about it. When you returned, how were you first received by the Vietnamese? What do you remember about that? I think I, I perceived less about the Vietnamese than myself. It was uh, healing in itself just to step down on the ground and not be afraid. And they are a very gracious people. Mm -hmm. Al Plapp, what happened when you met Vietnamese vets for the first time on your return trip? Well, there was always just a little bit of anxiety um, because the last thing you recalled were rockets still going off and people shooting. So you went back and uh, you had just a – intellectually, I was fine. But emotionally, the imprint was always there. When I stepped on the ground, I was able to see smiles and to see the graciousness of those people that I had experienced a long time before that. And in, in a sense, it felt like, yeah, I know these people. It's like family. Tommy, I think it was you that said to me in a prior phone call that you found the Vietnamese more respectful of the Americans' situation than some in our country here in the States. How would you explain that? <clears throat> I, I wish I could explain it. I just think it's uh, part of the human condition to have a difficulty with admitting even to oneself that they've been wrong about one thing and another, maybe about our entrance into the war at all or uh, the aftermath or how, we tr how the, uh, our culture is treated uh, not just uh, returning veterans but uh, the Vietnamese as well. You know, I've finally accepted that I can't explain it. I'll just accept it and try to keep on surviving. Al, when you went on your trip, were, were you meeting with uh, the Viet Cong vets, the North Vietnamese vets, and what kinds of things did you talk about if, if you did meet with them? Well, our first uh, encounter was going down to the Mekong Delta to Tom Tien's 
place, and Tom Tien was a Viet Cong. Uh, he was the former enemy. He greeted us with a big smile and hugs. I mean, that's, uh, you know, you kind of go, wow. Um, and he wants to hear your story. He, uh, he told us his story. We shot him, left him for dead. He was uh, treated for like nine months, as I remember, um, in the Coochie Tunnels and over in there. Um, but he held no grudge. He uh, really wanted to meet the person that shot him to say that he held no grudge, that he forgave him. And when he came over to this country, it was the same. I felt like I had a very strong brother who came to visit me. What do you think is so different about how the Vietnamese seem to heal from war and forgive um, as compared to what you experienced or have seen in American vets? That was expressed all the time in our journey over there. Why? Why the difference? And basically, they fought for their homeland. They fought for their culture. They fought for their families. They fought for an ideal. They fought for a way of life. Everything that, again, the soul comes together to form the soul. The internal of, yes, this is truly who I am. And we were over there because it was a political war. It was an intellectual war. We didn't have a reason really to be there. And we were told to just go out. So all our reason for being there, our sole reason for being there, was to survive. And they don't have PTSD because they were fighting from the heart. They were fighting from the soul. And they didn't have that conflict. Tommy Laughlin, was there an activity that you participated in on your healing journey that was especially significant for you, for your healing? There was a couple of factors in there that were significant. Uh, first of all, the the bonding with the fellow vets that were on the trip, uh, their understanding of uh, what you went through while you were there the first time and what you've been going through in the past years is built in. Uh, no need for explanation. There were also wives and other uh, people that weren't veterans that were on the trip. Uh, and uh, even though that they weren't all veterans and hadn't all been in combat, it was a community. For the first time in 40-some years, I was in a community that was accepting not just of my experience in Vietnam, but also the experience of the previous 40 years of being alienated, withdrawn, isolated, and depressed maybe more than angry because that's how you deal with your anger. The other significant factor in dealing with has to do with the Vietnamese themselves. To visit a kindergarten that Americans have helped to found and uh, uh, keep going to, to help people work and make their lives better in Vietnam and to be to visit these children and have them sing to you and treat you as honored guests and patrons uh, was just marvelous these you know uh, before uh, in 67 when I was there everybody was in danger nobody was safe in that country 
not women, not children, certainly not soldiers. Uh, but to see those kids and to, uh, for them to welcome us like they did and to know that they didn't have to go out and uh, – in the yard or the home and, and be in danger from war, it was a marvelous thing. It made, you know, it was one of the happiest moments in my life. Al Plapp, do you feel that you reconciled with the Vietnamese? Oh, yes, yes. And I'm looking forward to, uh, I hope to go back again. I was able to reconnect with the culture. I was able to reconnect with the people that... Uh, I had respected in the beginning. It felt like a place I understood better than my own country and my own circumstance here. I was allowed to not be so anxious and not to uh, be so involved with my own reactions to the war that I had here. I could let that go over there. How do you imagine that sense of reconciliation uh, was for the Vietnamese? in terms of meeting American vets that returned to Vietnam? They were always gracious. They always, uh, every time we asked the question, why do you have PTSD, why don't, and we do, um, they just would say, let it go. Just let it go. It's okay. That was in the past. Live for today. Live for today, live for tomorrow. Forget the past. As you've watched other wars develop in the years, including the U.S., what comes up for you each time. How do you feel about war now? Why do we have to do it? Most of the time it's political. It's intellectual. I think there are tyrants in the world that, you know, they shouldn't be doing what they're doing either. They're killing their own people. That's, that's totally wrong. But as a world, we need to come together and address that. Not as... Uh, United States always taking it on because we tend to just intellectualize it and politicize it. And we send our guys out. And every time I see about war, I can recount my own experiences of what are these guys going to do when they come home? You know, they've got soul wounds and we aren't addressing it at all. The VA is inadequate about it. And these guys are coming home, and they're isolating themselves just like Tommy and I did. And the community of the United States isn't helping the guys come home. Tommy, is war and sending young men and women into war ever necessary? I, I don't know the answer to that question. I, I do think that there are times when we believe that it is necessary, and people of conscience act on their beliefs. There's a saying that was popular back in the 60s and 70s that I still am committed to, that war is unhealthy for children and other living things. And like other things of that nature, it should be outlawed. It should be against the law. Vietnam vet Tommy Laughlin. We also heard from fellow Vietnam veteran Al Plapp. We should say that Tommy and Al have never met they were on different journeys back to Vietnam and talked to us from different studios, Tommy in Oregon and Al in Minneapolis. We'll hear some poems each one wrote about their Vietnam healing experiences later in the program. 
But next, we'll have more with Ed Tick and Kate Dahlstedt, the psychologists who treat post-traumatic stress disorder in soldiers, in part by sponsoring these trips back to the war zones. Stay with us on Peace Talks Radio. We'll be back in a minute. You're listening to Peace Talks Radio, the series on peacemaking and nonviolent conflict resolution, online at peacetalksradio.com. I'm series producer Paul Ingalls, today exploring one effort that helps veterans suffering with the soul wounds of war to find some peace by revisiting the lands where they fought and meeting with those they fought against. Ed Tick and Kate Dahlstedt are both psychologists who have created and operated an organization called Soldier's Heart, which has, since 2000, sponsored annual trips taking former U.S. soldiers back to Vietnam. More now from Carol Boss's interview with them. First, here's Kate Dahlstedt. Even when our veterans have done a fair amount of healing, have uh, adjusted pretty well, are able to sleep well, uh, are able to manage their relationships and so on, and feel pretty much like they are at peace with their experience in the war zone, they still very often carry what we call soldier's heart. And that was actually the name that was given to what we now call PTSD uh, during the Civil War. And it, it's, it's a sense of having experienced mm, human beings at their worst. Maybe at, at times also human beings at their very best, but often the experience of war is human beings, man against man, really being at their worst. And so that leaves people with a real heaviness in their hearts. And so when we were trying to find a name for our our organization, Soldier's Heart just seemed to fit. Another uh, aspect of the name Soldier's Heart comes from our work in Vietnam. We lead healing and reconciliation journeys back to Vietnam every year. One of our veterans who had only been in combat for four months uh, before he was wounded and shipped home and has suffered from post-traumatic stress disorder for 40 years, asked a Viet Cong veteran known as Mr. Tiger, who was at war for 25 years against the Japanese, the French, and the Americans. Mr. Tiger sleeps like a baby. He's 90 years old. He's healthy. He has no PTSD. Our vet said, I don't get it. How is it that I was only here for four months and it's ravaged my life, whereas you were at war for 25 years and you're just fine? Mr. Tiger said, oh, my brother, I'm sorry, but that's very easy to answer. The answer is, in America, you look for the wound here, and Mr. Tiger pointed to his head, to his brain. But in Vietnam, we look for the wound here in our heart, and he 
tapped his chest and showed his heart. We love each other. We love you. We apply love and community and understanding to the wounds of war, and so we all heal together. When you just look for the wound in your brain and try to fix your brain chemistry, nothing's going to change. But if we all get into our hearts together and grieve what we had to do at war and love each other, then we can love each other back to health. So in other words, war healing is peacemaking. Yes, war healing is peacemaking. 2,500 years ago, the Greek tragic playwright Aeschylus, who was a combat veteran, said, the first casualty of war is truth. And that was true then, and it's still true now. When we support our veterans and give them the audience, the strength, the voice to tell their stories, to meet with former foes and everyone share their stories, to practice atonement by doing direct action to repair the world that they harmed, all of these things restore truth to the war experience. And we don't actually need to be political. Of course we do. But in our war healing work, we don't need to, to make political statements, but rather help all the war survivors tell the truth about war and work to heal the wounds in themselves and the wounds they caused others. And when we do that, we have extraordinarily devoted peace activists who, through their war healing, are doing peacemaking in themselves to, for their own wounds and between uh, peoples against whom we've warred and for the American public because as veterans heal, they, are, they become anxious, uh, urgent to tell their stories and to pass on the wisdom they've learned rather than being silenced as so many of them have been. PTSD is not just a war condition, and some listeners have PTSD from other trauma events. What lessons of this work can easily cross over to non-war PTSD? Well, the thing that comes to my mind when you ask that is the notion of being able to transform your experience with, we might call the dark side, dark energies, whatever the trauma might have been, and to come out of that with a new kind of strength, um, a new identity. You know, there's a loss of innocence that happens when there's a trauma. And so now you have to learn to move forward with that loss of innocence and make a decision about how you're going to move forward in the world uh, that's going to be a constructive avenue instead of uh, just succumbing to being a, a, a traumatized victim. So we really would work the same way with, say, a rape victim, um, you know, to help them come out of that darkness and find a path, a meaningful path, and we can call it a spiritual path, um, you know, if we use that term loosely. Perhaps they would take their experience and turn around and work for rape prevention or work with uh, young, young people to help them figure out how not to get themselves in bad situations. So what we do is we try to help the, the, tra the trauma victim uh, find an identity that takes them out of that sense of being victimized and gives them a new strength and, a, and 
a way of being able to see their trauma as in some way a gift because it's taught them something that now they can take into the world in a meaningful way. We call it post-traumatic growth. Do you have any suggestions for things listeners can do in their own lives who, who want to try to make peace with adversaries or quote-unquote enemies in their life? So, of course, we, you know, we would first suggest some kind of communication and, and uh, reaching out, whether it's a letter, uh, whether it's a phone call, whether it's in person, to just express from your heart very simply how you're feeling and hopefully then get a response. It doesn't help to approach somebody and tell them all the things that they've done bad to you because they're just going to get defensive. But if we can just speak from our hearts about how we've been impacted or if we feel like we've, we're the perpetrator, it can be a real courageous step to step forward and say, I know that I did something wrong and I want to make it right with you. Uh, one story that comes to mind uh, about this question is a man we've worked with who was a survivor of the Liberian civil wars, and his brother was tortured to death. Uh, this man came to the United States for a while, worked on his own healing, and decided to go back to Liberia to find the man who killed his brother and invite that man to become his brother in his fallen brother's place. Rather than revenge and punishment, he said, you took the soul of somebody I loved very much, there's a hole in my family, and we can put the world back together if you'll join my family and become my brother. It's a profound step, but it includes storytelling from both sides, it includes empathy rather than demonization of the other, and it includes taking steps to repair the world that we've broken. We can practice these steps in our own neighborhoods and communities. We've taken Iraq veterans back, uh, well, back. We've taken Iraq veterans to Vietnam because they want to learn forgiveness and reconciliation practices and then bring them uh, to their generation. There are over a million Iraqi refugees in the United States now from the present war. How many of us know the Iraqis in our communities or other Muslims and are reaching out to them to hear their stories and make friends? There are over a half a million Vietnamese, if we look at that war. There are uh, Vietnamese boat people who came here. This, these principles apply to all peoples who uh, either personally or ethnically or collectively have been antagonists with each other. To go from enemy, which literally means in the Latin, not friend, and amicas, to friend, becoming amiable is a transformation on the personal, on the spiritual, and on the collective levels. And it's actually, it takes a great amount of courage even to go to your next-door neighbor and practice this. But by talking, by staying in our hearts, by staying empathic, uh, and by being non-judgmental, but realizing the other person has suffered also, and they have a story that needs to be told, we can uh, enter into a collective friendship with everyone, including people against uh, we've harmed or who have harmed us. Is there anything from this work that could be applied preventively between adversaries before things escalate? Uh, there's a lot that can be applied uh, to, to stop escalations. Um, 
if we could have diplomats staying in the room with each other and talking, talking, talking rather than picking up arms, we could uh, significantly prevent escalation. In the opening of the Iliad by Homer, the story of the Trojan War, uh, Achilles, the fiercest of the Greek warriors, is so angry that he wants to murder to frag the commander Agamemnon. And the goddess Athena comes down and says, don't kill him, slay him with words instead. Uh, We teach that lesson over and over again. Words, talk, yell, scream, cry, accuse, but don't pick up weapons and don't leave the room. And let's get the adversaries of the planet together in the United Nations really staying there and listening to each other and accusing each other and crying and yelling and screaming and complaining about the wounds we've caused each other, but without resorting to weapons for vengeance or for conquering, but rather staying with each other's stories until everybody's stories and everybody's concerns have been heard, and then we can grope together for common solutions. On your most recent trip to Vietnam, which was in October 2010, I believe, there was a Vietnamese-American poetry reading. And let me ask you first if there was a theme and, and who was present. We staged two readings. The theme was reconciliation. And an, an American read a poem uh, in English and a Vietnamese veteran, his counterpart, read the translation in Vietnamese. Then a Vietnamese veteran read one of his poems in Vietnamese, and American read the translation in English. Before long, the vets were jumping out of their seats, running up to the stage, embracing the veteran from the other side and grabbing the poem and saying, that's my experience also. I've got to read it in my language to the veterans from my country so we all see that we truly are one and the same. Veteran Al Plapp, whom we heard from earlier, was at that poetry reading in 2010 and wrote his first poem ever much later that night. I wrote it at 2 o'clock in the morning because I couldn't sleep after that poetry reading experience, and I called it Medivac. And it goes, chop, chop, the bell, the siren alarm sings. Chop, chop, the siren sings. Engine whine, guns ready. The day begins. Chop, chop, the land below. In bright sun or full moon glow. The beauty holds the people below. Cooking fire smoke, water buffalo plow. Children sing, dogs bark. Chop, chop, the mission is a go. The LZ below, the LZ below. Guns ready. Fingers tighten. What will they bring? Broken bodies or lost, wandering souls? To hoist through the canopy or firm to the ground, what will they bring? Broken bodies or lost, wandering souls? Sweaty, dirty faces, grim, they bring. Broken bodies and lost souls. Common blood, shed, run red, comrade, friend, or foe. The pile lays deep. The broken bodies, the lost wandering souls. My heart screams, screams above the engine noise. Confused, am I part of the dead? Fly away home, fly away home, my gaze fixed. The pile lays deep, the blood flows. 
Buckets of water scrubbed the deck to erase the red, but the memory stained forever in my head. Chop, chop, the bell, the siren alarm sings. Chop, chop, the bell, the siren sings. Thank you, Al. Thank you so much for sharing that. Tommy, you have a poem, too, that you'd like to share with us. Uh, The officers commanded, follow me. The sergeant said, one foot in front of the other. And so we humped and grumped from one end of the year to the other. The journey had just begun. For 10,000 miles, I followed none. I stepped into a maze of paths, all fraught with caution and despair. There is a sense now of drawing near, a civil place. Look, there's a candle in the window there. Could that be home? And there you have it. Uh, Thank you, Tommy. Do either one of you have any thoughts about how listeners, for example, can benefit from your experience? In other words, how can people apply your journey to Vietnam to dealing with adversaries in their own lives? Well, I think one is to don't categorize, don't make your judgment so small, be open, be able to listen. And always try and get another viewpoint. We always want to look and protect our own viewpoint, and that gets us into trouble. It narrows our possibilities of reconciliation and what can happen. So educate yourself. Be broad-minded. Even if you don't like something, still look into it. And try and get the other person's point of view. Al Plapp and Tommy Laughlin, thanks so much for sharing your stories with us on Peace Talks Radio. And thank you and Paul for, uh, for addressing the issues. Thank you very much. May I just say thanks, Tommy, for sharing with me. Welcome home, brother. Welcome home, bud. You can find links to more information about Soldier's Heart and the Healing Journeys program and complete interviews with all of our guests at peacetalksradio.com. That's peacetalksradio.com, where you can also hear all the programs in our series going back to 2003, order CDs of most episodes, sign up for a podcast and our newsletter, and it's also where you can make a tax-deductible contribution to our nonprofit media organization that produces this program independently from your local public radio station. Please consider a donation. For more frequent updates and inspiration, follow us on Twitter and Facebook. Additional support comes from the Oppenheimer Brothers Foundation, the FNS Fund at the Santa Fe Community Foundation, KUNM at the University of New Mexico, and individual contributors who made donations in the memory of my mother, Audrey Ingalls, and my aunt, Mary Ingalls, who died within three weeks of each other in 2011. I thank those who donated in their honor for your kindness. Allie Adelman composed and performs our theme music. For Carol Boss, I'm Paul Ingalls. Thanks for listening to and for supporting Peace Talks Radio. Music